This world was never enough for you, was it, Coop? What, because heading out there is what I feel like I was born to do? Mankind was born on Earth. It was never meant to die here. I don't care much for this. Pretending we're back where we started. I want to know where we are. Where we're going. We need a pilot, and this is the mission that you were trained for. I'm asking you to trust me. We got kids, Professor. Get out there and save them. To stand on a new world and look beyond it to the next one. And don't talk like you're not coming back. Promise me that you'll come. I love you forever, and I'm coming back. Episode 36 of Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the discussion. Today, I'm going to be talking about space. Yes, the greater beyond, as it were. Maybe not so much space, but just space movies. And when I think of space movies, I think of one in particular, Interstellar. Interstellar is one of the all-time greatest space exploration films. And what Christopher Nolan was able to do with wormholes and jumping through time and space and compressing time and people aging on Earth versus how people age deep beyond the reaches of our own universe, you know? People age differently, time ticks differently, and... The visuals in Christopher Nolan's Interstellar are beyond anything that uh, had been seen up to that point. And the reason why Interstellar is probably my favorite space exploration movie is just simply that it's one of those movies that has an actual story to it. And the greater sort of story behind Interstellar is love. Like, love is what drives the main character to solve the mystery and sort of bring everything back to normal, save humanity. It's, uh, 
it's a compelling script. <laughs> it's like one of the best performances, if not the best performance uh, uh, for Matthew McConaughey, in my opinion. And of course, Anne Hathaway and uh, Casey Affleck involved as well. And a very strong performance by Jessica Chastain as Cooper's daughter. And as we go into the characters, we sort of, we start with this really broad view of what the world is right now. And they're living in this world where like dust storms are a thing. And not just a thing, but like to the point where people need to go home if they're at an outdoor event or whatever. People are masking up, you know, like people are slowly dying. They're slowly suffocating on earth and we're losing uh, resources. Like in the schools, they're literally trying to push kids into farming as opposed to college. You know, that's one of the main conflicts early on in the movie is Cooper's son is... He's supposed to go to call, or he's he's asking, Cooper's asking the teachers about college, and they basically say that his test scores are just not high enough and that he should become a farmer. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, it feels desperate, and it feels as though the kid does not have a choice. And that's sort of the dystopian future that Christopher Nolan creates in this in this film. And the story of Cooper sort of just going off into space, leaving his kids behind, making this decision, and being lied to by Michael Caine's character, the professor, Professor Brand, that's Anne Hathaway's dad in the film. Professor Brand tells Cooper that his mission is essentially to go to space, travel beyond any distance that anyone's ever gone before to try and seek life on another planet or to try and find one of the other astronauts that had gone ahead prior to them because this has been you know it, it seems like it's been a project for several years trying to find a new home but what the lie is the monstrous lie as Anne Hathaway calls it is that People on Earth were always meant to die. And this mission is so that they can start over on another planet. But the lie was that Michael Caine's character tells Cooper and his own daughter, who are traveling together on this mission, that the goal is to save people on Earth. You know? And it's, it's actually it's, it's quite heartbreaking because he has to lie in order to get people to work on this space station that they're, you know, they're basically working for no reason is what it's, is what it comes down to back on earth. And, you know, the scene where Cooper is leaving, uh, his daughter behind Murph is her name. That's who Jessica Chastain plays. She plays the older version of, of Murph, but when he's leaving his young daughter behind, it's like, it's devastating, you know, and he goes on this mission and just the way that it, it all pulled together when Cooper goes through, you know, everything from, from their different stops on Miller's planet to, 
I believe it's, uh, I can't even remember now, but what I think it was Miller's planet that had the waves and you know, they're like, Oh, it's, it's mountains. And that's the, that's the planet that they land on that changes time. You know, like an hour down there is 20 some years on earth or even 40 years. I think it was, it was like two decades or something. And they were down there for an hour. It goes wrong. And it's, it's a really terrifying line when, when Cooper's, you know, he's, he's sitting in the, in the driver's seat of their plane and literally she's, they're talking about the, the mountains. And he says, those aren't mountains. Those are waves. And it's like, holy shit. Like they're about to get swept away, right? Like it's just insane. And ultimately they do make it out, but at what cost? It stretches so much time. I think they end up getting caught down there for like just under two hours or something. And I remember, you know, Cooper goes back to the the plane and all of his children have aged. Decades have aged. And Jessica Chastain comes up as Murph and she basically calls her dad a son of a bitch and you left me. And, you know, just the heartbreak on McConaughey's face. Everybody's seen McConaughey's scene where he's watching that video of his daughter. And he's like, it's sort of like a slow cry. And then there's like tears of joy. And he goes through like basically every emotion in the book. It's phenomenal range from McConaughey in that scene. But it's it's an interesting casting choice to have Matthew McConaughey. And he's one of those guys who got really serious for a while there. And that was coming off of his Oscar that he had just won for Dallas Buyers Club. And if you haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, that's one I highly recommend because both of those Oscars for lead actor and supporting actor, Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto, both won that year and deservedly so. It was, I just remember watching that movie and it's, it's heartbreak, it's pride, it's basically learning to live with your disease, learning to live with your sickness. And, you know, there's sad parts, but there's also like parts where he thrives and you're like, you, he's an asshole the whole movie, but he portrays this guy that you actually have some sympathy for. And he lost a ton of weight for that role as we know. And he was just, he was having a, he was having a few, a few good years there, McConaughey and Interstellar definitely highlights that for me I think the end of Interstellar is the first movie that I can remember that wasn't a sad moment that when it occurred I cried because the story was just so good I remember I was in my parents basement and I was just watching it by myself and I think that's maybe why Interstellar had such an impact on me um was the way I watched it. Like I watched it alone and, you know, I watched it in one sitting and it was just, I was so into the plot that when Cooper goes into the black hole and we solve the end of the movie and we sort of get everything that happens with the, like with the finale there, I really don't want to, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but I'm going to go into why I love it because it's just, it's so awesome. 
Like the fact that that Cooper is able to use something so intricate in love. Like he knows his daughter and they're connected through this feeling of love. So he knows that only he can communicate with her through the space-time continuum. And in order for that to sort of sink in, we need to see what happens in that black hole where Cooper ends up in this fifth dimension or whatever it is, and it's all just the same room. It's the same room over and over and over again, and it's Murph's bedroom, his daughter. And what I love about it is that he has to find a way to communicate with her, and he literally cannot but it's love that brings them together and he's able to transmit the code to her, to Murph in present day so that she can figure out the algorithm to sort of save life on earth. And it's, uh, yeah, like I literally teared up and cried when, when it sort of all unfolded and like you figure it out for yourself but also Christopher Nolan has you sort of so invested in the film that when it does unravel and we do find this connection between Murph and Cooper and we find out that Cooper actually sent himself on this exploration through space. It's just an absolute masterpiece and I highly recommend Interstellar. The Martian. The Martian by Andy Weir is one of my favorite novels. It was just so in depth and it was so like you could tell that Andy Weir was one of those guys who he he figured out the engineering side of aerodynamics and stuff and like and space exploration and all this stuff like you can tell he was he was like heavily involved in NASA somehow because he just knows the language and he speaks the language and that book is just so well written it is so well written and when you have the film, I was really hoping for it to to live up to its potential. And it's funny because um, I, this was one of the only films that I've seen in a long time, if ever, that I've read the book before going to see it. And I know a lot of people out there do that. They read the book beforehand or read it after, however it ends up working out. But for the most part, I read things after the fact because... I just do. It just kind of happens that way. But honestly, with this film, Matt Damon stars in it. And uh, Jessica Chastain also stars in it. But the cast is much greater than that. Like you have Sebastian Stan. You have Kate Mara. And it's just led by a performance with Matt Damon that's just so compelling. And it's so easy to watch. I find The Martian. The Martian I describe as a space adventure that occurs all on Mars, but you do get the space elements of the space travel. But what you also get is you get the people on Earth and what that panic from NASA looks like and what the corporate side of NASA looks like trying to save an astronaut that was left on Mars. And I think for me, when I watch The Martian, that's what I love watching the most is the people back on Earth trying to solve the problem of how do we communicate? How do we get them fed? How do we get them home? You know, and there's everything from lies about his death. Well, not even a lie about his death, but they just jump the gun and say that he's dead 
and then they find out he's alive. And then it's about the PR problem of trying to manage this back on Earth. And then you get the comedic side of Matt Damon, this guy who just, he's stuck on Mars and he's like, I'm not going to die here. And he starts farming potatoes. He starts creating different ways to keep himself busy on Mars while surviving. And it helps that he's just a brilliant scientist and he's a botanist. Like he, he majored in botany, this scientist. So it's, or this astronaut, I should say, I keep calling him a scientist. And I mean, to a certain extent, he does act like a scientist in this film. Um, but yeah, like the, I, I think the, the weight of him being left behind is so magnified because of the cast that they chose and just how close it felt like they felt as a group already and then to have them leave and um it be sort of this decision that they're very uncomfortable with and jessica chastain she leads this group she's the captain essentially of this or commander i believe they call her and she's she's the crew lead and she's the one who not only do they go back for him at some point, that's her choice. She decides to go back. But at the same time, it works because it's this never leave a man behind mentality. And for Matt Damon, it's this, yeah, this is about as shitty a scenario as you can get, but it shows that you can have a different perspective on that shitty scenario. He chose to be optimistic. He chose to farm. He chose to survive. And that's what's really cool about The Martian. It's one of my all-time favorites. And Jeff Daniels, who I I try to talk about Jeff Daniels to anyone who will listen. Because obviously he's known for Dumb and Dumber playing Harry in, in that film with Jim Carrey. And Jeff Daniels is somewhat known as a bit of a comedian. But in his serious roles, anything from Newsroom on HBO to this film, Martian, The Martian, to, I'm blanking on his other one, The Comey Rules. Now, I think it's called The Comey Rules or The Comey Diaries or whatever. I just watched that recently um, where he plays the FBI agent that took down, not even took down Trump, but just sort of dealt with Trump and the Trump campaign in, uh, during the, the run in 2016 or 2014, whatever it was now. But Jeff Daniels, like I watched the newsroom twice. I've watched it twice. That's Aaron Sorkin's show on HBO. And it's a fun, lighthearted, but also really smart show about a newsroom that operates in New York City. And Jeff heads a phenomenal cast. But I just, getting back to The Martian, he is so good at the role that they cast him in for this film because I believe he's the director of NASA. And he's just, he's great, right? Because he thinks a little bit differently than everybody else in the film. He thinks corporate side. He thinks, what is this going to look like? You know, and I just, I love that dynamic to this film. And then you have Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, in this film as well as like this brilliant 
uh, young scientist at NASA, and he comes up with the plan that ends up getting Matt Damon home, which I really, I really enjoyed that character too. And that's where you get the space element, right? Is the crew that's coming home from NASA is able to, through a math calculation, slingshot around Earth, use Earth's gravitation to sort of sling back towards Mars and, you know, add an additional uh, period of time and space for this crew to go back to, to Mars to swoop by and pick them up. And, you know, the one choice that the Martian made to, I think they filmed all of the movie in parts of Arizona, but it was like they put like an orange lens over top of the camera for sure, like some sort of filter. And I thought that looked really cool and it made it look like Mars and like kudos to the CGI of whatever mountains, hills, whatever else they added in. But for the most part, it looks like it's all practically shot. And when I say practically shot, I mean all of the sets are practical. And he's clearly walking through some form of sand, dirt, whatever, rubble on Arizona territory. <laughs> but it's uh, it comes across as Mars. And it really does look like the images we've gotten from NASA from Mars. And it's a fun watch because you can really sink into it. And just watch this guy try and survive on Mars. And he gets into these little predicaments like the airlock will explode or something. And then all of a sudden his crop is frozen. And he's got to find a way to eat or he's got to find a way to salvage whatever he can. Like it's just a phenomenal watch. And I just I highly recommend The Martian to anybody who is a fan of a space movie. Now add Astra is a fairly new one that many people have probably seen, but many have not. And it's Brad Pitt's newest film. And he's, or sorry, his newest space film, I should say. He's got lots of other films that have come out. But uh, Ad Astra was one for me that I really enjoyed. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn that follows uh, Brad's character into space on a journey similar to um, the Martian in a way. Uh, but he has to, he's, he's basically sent on a mission to go and find his father who had set out a, I don't know if it's like a, like an SOS beacon or something, but he hadn't been, his father had gone dark for a long time who went on this mission to sort of the ends of space, if you will. And it was a fun ride, man. Ad Astra is awesome. Because, like, it starts with Brad Pitt's character, who's just kind of, like, he's doing some routine service on the space station or whatever. And then, you know, catastrophe strikes. And there's all this debris that sends him flying through space. And we get some cool shots there. And anytime you get a name like Brad Pitt and you pair it with space, it's going to sell. And I, I like the choices that they made in this film. You know, he runs into other crews. He runs into these, like, rogue um, chimpanzees, <laughs> which is wild. I don't think it's chimp. I don't think they're chimps. I think they're, um, they're a type of monkey, like a baboon. I think they were baboons. Yeah. And they just tear people apart, you know, and Brad runs into that scenario. I mean, that's about the height 
of the action in this film are those two scenes. The rest is more just the turmoil that Brad's character is going through and just wondering if he will see his dad again. And the climax of this film is quite is quite good. I liked it a lot because he does find his dad out near Pluto, which is, or maybe Neptune, one of the two, way out there, way gone in space. And you're sort of expecting this really nice reunion and it's far from that. You know, Brad's dad is played by, uh, blanking on the name right now, Tommy Lee Jones, who is so good in everything that I see him in. I really like Tommy Lee Jones. And he's he's sort of this washed up old astronaut who still believes that there's life out there. And he just hasn't found it. And Brad's character, when he finds him, is like, listen, there's nothing out there. And he cannot accept that. Tommy Lee Jones cannot accept that. And it makes for this really really cool finale because they Tommy Lee Jones sets the ship to self-destruct and then ultimately it we come to this moment where Brad Pitt's holding his dad's arms and his dad is like let me go like just let me drift off into space at this point you know and he does you know and uh, he loses his father and that's it was like it was disappointing, but that was the intent, and I love that. I love when an intent behind a film is executed in a way that I feel what the filmmaker wanted me to feel, and that's what happens a lot in Ad Astra, and it's, it's a lower-level film. It's not as good as The Martian or as good as Interstellar, but it's up there for me, um, in the space movie category. And I'll touch on this movie quick because I've never seen it. And I've heard mixed reviews for it. And obviously it won a tremendous amount of Oscars because of the visuals in it. And that is Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, I believe. And that, obviously that trailer is, it's one of the all-time best space trailers, right? Like how every we just see that scene where Sandra gets disconnected essentially from the space station and Clooney's got her and he's talking to her and he's saying like don't let go or whatever don't do this don't do that and then he like gets struck by something or like lets go by accident and she goes drifting off into space and we sort of get that full uh first person point of view of somebody floating through space and I know it made a lot of people nauseous whether they saw it at home or on the big screen I've heard multiple stories from different people about that one and it's it's not really a movie that I feel I need to see you know like it's just not it's just not it for me if I would have seen it back then I would have probably been on board but I didn't I admire it for what it is, and I, it goes without saying that Gravity is probably one of the best space movies of all time in its own respect, but not for me. But I thought it deserved at least a mention in this episode. Passengers, with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, is maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but it is mine, 
And I feel like for me, it's one of those movies that I'm just intrigued by every time I watch it. It is intriguing because Chris Pratt's character is aboard this ship, dystopian future again, like just, you know, they're flying through space on this ship that is taking them to the new world that that they've found and they're going to inhabit. But Chris's uh, pod opens early, opens, I believe it's like 150 years or 180 years early or something. And he panics. Obviously, it starts off like, oh, this is great. What am I doing here? And then none of the other pods are open. He realizes that, starts to panic, falls in love with this one girl, Jennifer Lawrence, in her pod. And he's sort of faced with the ultimate decision. Do I die alone or do I grow old with someone? You know? And it's gut-wrenching. It's it's a gut-wrenching watch when he opens that pod and he wakes her up. It's like, damn, that is low because you're then taking somebody else's life. So it's like, it's selfish in a way, but then you have to ask yourself, what would you do? And that's what's so great about Passengers. And it's paired with some decent VFX, decent CGI. Um, the overall plot is pretty basic you know but for the most part it's two really good performances by two really good actors who like they had good chemistry on screen and I just like the ship that he's on you know he can play you can play arcade games you can walk through the mall you can you know there's all of these it's it's constructed to house a ton of people for a long period of time And it turns into this beautiful story where obviously you get the decision that he has to make when he wants to propose to her and stuff. If he has to tell her the truth or not of why he woke her up or like he hasn't told her that he woke her up. She just thinks that her pod malfunctioned as well. And, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is, she's always a bit over the top for me, but I do love watching her on screen and she loses her shit and rightfully so um and you feel the weight of that decision from chris pratt after the fact too you you know that he made a mistake and he messed up in a big big way and then obviously you know lawrence fishburne comes in for a bit and plays this really weird captain and you know dies before the ship even like you know he really didn't serve much of a purpose for me in this film And if you've seen Passengers, you know what I'm talking about. But it's a film that like if you're looking for a good Friday night or a good Saturday night and you're just into a space, you know, sci-fi film, that's like kind of, it's fantastical for sure. And it's out there. But it's a good watch and it has like a really good ending. I enjoyed the ending a lot. And I recommend that as like, that's my space rom-com for you. In a, way, in a way it's like a serious rom-com if you will i'll close out with my honorable mentions section here and amongst those would be ryan gosling in the first man and obviously that's the story of buzz aldrin and the team that went to the moon uh apollo 13 with tom hanks similar story 
the first crew to go to the moon and actually make it successfully. But Apollo, I mean, I haven't seen Apollo 13, so I don't actually know the plot or what happens there. But it's an honorable mention because it's one of those space movies that you can't not mention. Armageddon. That's one that I think I would actually enjoy. You know? Ben Affleck. You got Bruce Willis. It's quite the quite the cast, if you ask me. And I like I know that Armageddon has really good reviews. The one that I wanted to mention too was Hidden Figures. And if you haven't seen Hidden Figures, oh boy, is that one one for the history books. And, you know, rightfully so. <laughs> it's uh Taraji P. Henson and uh Olivia Spencer and Janelle Monet. And they play three three female scientists, uh, three black female scientists at NASA. And it's just the story of their struggles, but also their perseverance and how they are going to be revered as these incredible scientists at NASA. And it's just from start to finish, that one is really good. And that's one that I actually haven't revisited since my first watch. And I'm going to sit down and rewatch Hidden Figures at some point. Because I just remember, I remember three things. I remember the performance was like rock solid from all three. And I just remember them being, the second thing is I remember their performances being so strong in that they're just these very confident, very stay in your own lane and very intelligent women. And they just sort of do their work and their work speaks for them. And that's what I love. They're just hardworking women who at NASA exceeded even expectations of the men and exceeded expectations of the white men for that matter. And it was a very, like any movie that involves race is, it's one of those movies that has potential to be very powerful and it is just that. It really sends and drives that message home and just like really, really makes you feel good about the ending and good about the characters. And you just you root for these women. And that's that's what Hidden Figures does for me. I feel like it would also be fitting here just to mention the Alien vs. Predator series and series of movies and those are like Ridley Scott he's got quite the franchise there but like even the new material from Prometheus all the way to I think it's Alien Covenant it's good stuff it's really good stuff and it's good like space content with that sort of threat of the creature roaming around 65 coming out with Adam Driver I mentioned it in my previous podcast uh, with my guest Zane there and we talked about how we're going to go and see that one because that's dinosaurs on a different planet. And Adam Driver is going to, he's going to knock this one out of the park is how I'm feeling. And I'm feeling like it's going to be one of those really action-packed thrillers with like like a creature thriller, you know what I mean? Like Godzilla-esque, but like with dinosaurs. And it doesn't feel Jurassic Park at all, which I loved. It feels alien and it feels large, and it feels threatening and scary, and it looks like it has, like Adam Driver looks like he's gonna, he's gonna kill it, and I'm really looking forward to 65 
Well, this has been fun as always. I love space. I love the idea of space. It scares me, but in like the best ways. And it's beautiful in the best ways, but it's also unknown. You know what I mean? And I feel like we know more about space than we do our own waters. <laughs> that's, that's like a weird thing too. You know, like there could be even different secrets deeper in the depths of our own oceans, etc. But space has always been there for me. It's always been one of those things that, of course, uh, filmmakers are going to want to do space travel. Of course, they're going to want to go into space and film that and like get into the VFX of that. And a lot of filmmakers succeed with their space movies. And there's a lot of bad space movies out there too. But regardless, I thought it would be a good topic for today. And maybe you want to watch a space movie sometime soon. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode on space exploration. And I hope that you tune in to the next episode of Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. I've been Brennan Huber. This has been a ton of fun. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,